0: Have you heard the one about the New York-based entertainer who left his lucrative career to seek one of the most powerful offices in the country with no previous experience in elected office? He's now one of the most popular politicians in America. That's right, I'm talking about Al Franken, Democratic Senator from Minnesota. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm your host, Evan McMarris Santoro, and today's show is a very special edition one of the longest national media interviews ever with one of the most interesting men in Washington, Senator Al Franken. Franken was a comedian and political satirist for decades. He was a writer and cast member on Saturday Night Live for years. He wrote movies, launched his own liberal talk show. He was one of the sharpest satirists of the Republican Party. In 2008, he threw his hat into the political ring. Franken's political hero, he said, was Senator Paul Wellstone, another Democrat from Minnesota who died in a plane crash. Franken ran for Wellstone's seat and he won by just 312 votes. Since then, Franken has been known for being one of the most serious and frankly boring people in Washington. He studiously avoids the national press. He doesn't go on the Senate floor and make jokes, but the strategy worked. In 2014, Franken won re-election by a landslide. Now he's loosening up a bit, he's writing a book about his time in the Senate, and he pops up in the national press more than he used to. I sat down with Senator Franken at the Museum in downtown Washington, D.C., before a live studio audience. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out. A lot of people feel like they know this guy, but I think that maybe there are ways where they don't really actually know him. And so we're hoping to change that a bit tonight with uh, this interview. I'm just so excited to have him. Uh, Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota. Come on out, Senator, and uh, let's, let's podcast it up. So I did a lot of research before I did this. Okay. And I talked to somebody who knows you really well in town and okay. has known you for a long time. And what they told me was that the media likes to overcomplicate you, especially the national press, that uh, most of the national coverage – I did some Googling to check this out. Most of the national coverage of you like, comes with the headline, like, no joke, colon, Al Franken does X, or yeah. seriously, Al Franken does Y. So my question is, this person I talked to described to you as a funny guy in a serious job, so he takes the job seriously – But it seems like a lot of people still think you're doing some sort of performance art or something like that. And I wonder why you think people have such a hard time getting it. I I think uh, people in Minnesota
1: get it now. Mm -hmm. And that's really sort of the most important thing for me. And my colleagues get it. That's also important. So uh, it's, I don't know, the press is sometimes the last to get things. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, there was the no-joke Franken-running... For a Senate, no joke, Franken elected.
0: Several times. I no, a lot of times.
1: Oh, we collect them. We collect them. <laughs> There's a lot of them. And it just shows that headline writers don't, you know, they, they think they thought of it. That's what's funny. <laughs> it's like, I know, I'll be clever. Right. But yeah. no joke. And it's like, you idiot.
0: You know? Right. <laughs> That's right. That's why we didn't use it. Um, uh, <laughs> so, smart. Let's start a little bit with what's going on in politics right now. I I actually listened to every episode of your radio show back when you had it. Really? Yeah. Thank you. I did. Um, I listened to some of it online. There was some terrestrial radio where I was listening to it. And I remember that on The O'Franken Factor, you had a moment in an early episode, it might have been the first episode, where you had Michael Moore and Al Gore on a conference call, and you brought Michael Moore on to apologize to Al Gore for supporting Ralph Nader in 2000. Yeah, I had, I, I had Michael in the studio and right. then I had okay. Al
1: Gore call in. That's pretty and, close. And yeah, no, that's exactly the point. <laughs> and uh, so I asked Michael to apologize and he kind of came short of actually saying I apologize. But, you know, if you look at that, um, Moore supported uh, Ralph Nader. Right. And if there was no Ralph Nader in, in Florida, Gore wins the election in history is very different, I think.
0: I wonder if you think that at the end, uh, you know, in sort of early 2017, someone's going to have to have a radio show where Bernie calls in and apologizes to Hillary Clinton for staying in so long. No. You don't think so? No, no. I, You know, um, uh, Bernie's
1: a friend of mine. I admire Bernie. You know, he, he I heard him the other night say that he is going to do everything he can to make sure that Trump doesn't win, so I think... The party will come together at the convention. I'm sure Bernie will speak at the convention, have his night, and I think we'll be united going forward because the alternative is so awful. Right. I mean, it really is, and it's completely unacceptable. But but this idea
0: mm, that he's he's continuing to run a negative campaign against Hillary Clinton and potentially damaging her uh, if she is the nominee who you support. I mean, you support her strongly. Right. What do you think of that argument? I hear from a lot of people who support Clinton that he stayed in too long.
1: Well, you know, I don't
0: think so. I mean, okay. he, he, it's up to
1: him. He uh, has, you know, I, I think he's helped her in many, many ways. I think she's a much better candidate because of him. And I think he's brought forward issues that many of us uh, believe in. If, if maybe his prescription for getting something done isn't, you know, uh, something that I, as a U.S. Senator, think is in any way plausible of getting done uh that may be the case and and I'm a, a very very strong supporter of uh of Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I think she is by far the most qualified I think she's the toughest, smartest, hardest working uh person I know and I think she she'll be a great president. So you don't think Bernie should drop out then? You think he should stay in for now? I don't think it's for me to tell Bernie what to do. Okay. How's that?
0: Um and well, I mean it's too bad. It'd be great if you did. Good for us. But, um, because there's I'm, interesting. I'm not here for you, you know, to help you. Oh, you're not? No. Did you not get that? Did no, they no, not tell you that? No, no. Oh, man.
1: Um, because there's a thing I going... heard it was something about your being interested in my ideas. It's thoughts, true. Yeah.
0: It's true. Well, I, I have many more of them to get to. Okay, okay, um, good, good. good. So I guess, I mean, just to, put, to just sort of close that out, it sounds like you think that this will all heal up, this, this, this Democratic primary, everyone's going to sort of come together. And yeah, cool is
1: it. every Bernie supporter going to heal?
0: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you're writing a book, right? Yes. What's the title of it?
1: I'm not telling you.
0: <laughs> That's the title?
1: It's pretty good. Uh, I think so.
0: <laughs> so what is this book going to be? Is it, is, <laughs> I'm is sorry,
1: it... I just don't want to tell no, you. No, 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 that's
0: fine. I mean, wh- why not? I, you just, I, I you,
1: also, I, I'm not... Do you, have you
0: finalized it yet, what the title is?
1: No, that's one of the reasons I'm not telling you. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you that. I may have finalized it.
0: So le- so what's it going to be? I mean, is it is it the big... Is it your big sort of tell-all about Washington, what it's like to be up here and be a part of this system? No, I think anyone who's... who's expecting
1: me to say bad things about my colleagues or something like that are going to be disappointed but there'll be plenty of things about uh, how uh, broken sometimes the system is but also how you actually can achieve things here if you work hard enough that's why it's worth it to do this I mean it really is and uh, I get things done all the time.
0: This is actually an interesting larger question I mean I'm not Gonna try to dwell on this Bernie stuff too much. We have plenty of other things to ask you about, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there. But but this idea that of getting things accomplished, because one of the debates going on in Democratic politics right now is that there are a lot of people who are out there, hundreds of thousands of them. They've given tons of money. They've given tons of their time to a campaign, and their belief is that you can't get any real change unless you really sort of dismantle what we have and rebuild the system in some other way. No, we got the and, Affordable you Care Act, right? Well, ma'am that's at all. Here,
1: when I was running for office in 2008 in Minnesota, I would hear from so many people that uh, they are afraid of getting sick. And I would go every community I went to. You go to a cafe, and there, hanging on a bulletin board, was a flyer for a fundraiser for someone who'd gotten cancer. And the community was having a spaghetti dinner to raise money for them. This is a huge deal, as um, that was kind of a combination of Biden yeah. and uh, and, and Bernie and whoever says huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna get to him. I'm telling you, we're getting to him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it shouldn't really be uh, dismissed. And who the president is is extremely important in terms of look at what's going on in North Carolina now we have a justice department that is going to court against North Carolina and is saying that you know we're not going to give you this federal money for education and everything else if you uh, don't get rid of this stupid law and that's because uh, president obama is is the president and not and and you know if it makes a difference who's president on all kinds of level. I've, I've seen
0: this up close. It's also really tough. It's a very, very, very hard job. Right. Well, let me uh, segue really great into a couple of policy questions from that. Mm-hmm. So you've been an advocate for addiction treatment for a really long time. I think a lot of people don't know that your Stuart Smalley character came from your own experiences at Al-Anon, which is a group for the friends and family of alcoholics. I understand that. You know, the movie was shown in some recovery programs. Sure. in it- rehabs and family programs at rehabs.
1: And, uh, no, I've been – in criminal justice, uh, we have been throwing people in jail for – both for mental illness and for, for uh, addiction – in, in a very, very stupid way.
0: And there's a connection between those two things. Um, I mean, your state is one of the states dealing with a huge increase in deaths from opioid abuse, like a lot of states are. Yep, yep. But, you know, opioids, like heroin, when it was in the form of heroin, they ravaged families and minority communities for decades, and it didn't seem like Congress did that much. But now that opioids uh, abuse in the form of uh, prescription drugs seem to be killing like more like middle-class white people... The Congress seems to care a lot more. I wonder if you have any comment on that, somebody who's just been following the issue for so long. It just, it just seems like an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, that, because the only way, way was like so much it. about criminal penalty, and now we're talking about like a health crisis. It's a little bit different now.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think people are realizing it. I mean, the one thing that uh, Chris Christie I thought was good on was this. Mm-hmm. And he had kind of his one viral moment, I thought, when he talked about this very eloquently in New Hampshire, and it's a disease, that chemical dependency is a disease, and what we've seen, we've seen a spike in, in deaths from opioids, and, and we saw, it looks like, uh, in in Minneapolis, that it looked like that's what that Prince uh, died of, I'm not certain, I don't wanna go out there speculating, but that seems like what it was. You know, I did, I admit, you know, I've acknowledged that I did some illegal drugs when I was
0: at Saturday Night Live and uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. You know? Right. But I mean, but at that time, I mean, do you feel like Congress, the there's more interest in having a conversation that's more like the one you've been trying to have about this issue for a long time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yes, I do and, believe and, and, that. And that shift, where do you think that shift has come from? I think it's been a
1: gradual shift in, in terms of people understanding about addiction. And you're right. There is no question that because of, of a lot in a lot of states and a lot of parts of the country, you're seeing the spike in, in deaths from opioid addiction or from opioids, and it's terrible in Indian country. We actually have a, um, a real spike, and I, you know, the, the, this uh, I have this thing called the uh, Comprehensive Justice Mental Health Act, which yeah, about is ask about that yeah, and, and, and that is very bipartisan, and what that does is provide for. Mental health courts and for uh, veterans courts, and when you talk about drugs and, and mental health, you know do du- most people are, have dual diagnoses, so they're very connected, and we have been throwing people in jail for years who uh, would be much better off <laughs> being diverted from prison to be actually save everyone a lot of money, and uh, for both for mental health and for uh, addiction and would do better, much better being treated. Um, also, we're learning that, uh, for example, uh, getting housing, because uh, a lot of people who are drug a- uh, addicts and a lot of people who are mentally ill uh, are homeless, and so they get picked up for vagrancy, or they get uh, arrested for drugs, and what they've found is the best cure for homelessness is a home. <laughs> and if you get someone a home and you get them wraparound services... You save an incredible amount of money And it reduces the criminal justice stuff too I've seen you talk about that Yeah because and a also lot of the crime improves, people get arrested for It saves lives And right. improves lives And so this is a direction we have to go And we're beginning to see counties That are doing this
0: Alright well let's Let's make another hard And amazing segue to Trump um, <laughs> I've actually kind of always wanted to say this So I can say it now We have a clip We can play that I showed him a clip Of an SNL sketch About Trump From February 17th, 1990. This was a big night for Saturday Night Live. Tom Hanks was the host, Aerosmith was the musical guest. Al Franken started at SNL in its earliest years and was a cast member and writer for many seasons. He was known mostly for his political work. On February 17th, 1990, The Cold Open was about Donald Trump. In the sketch, Phil Hartman plays the Donald. And Jan Hooks plays Trump's then-wife, working on being his ex-wife, Ivana. The pair were in the middle of a really ugly divorce at the time, which dominated tabloid press and was just the, like, part of the general chatter of celebrity news in the late 80s and early 90s. The scene takes place at Trump's office in Trump Tower. Ivana is asking Trump for more money from the divorce settlement, and Donald is mocking her about all the ways he's made it impossible with prenups and legal hoops and all sorts of other things.
1: I mean, think of it. Here you are, the mother of my children, a partner in my business, and you're getting so little. I'm,
0: I'm sorry, Donald. I'm sorry. In the end, Donald cons Ivana into playing a game of three-card Monty, and Ivana loses everything. Okay, exactly. that right.
1: that Oh, too bad. You lose. Oh. Nothing for you.
0: Yes. She collapses in tears. And Trump says, live from New York, it's Saturday night. Oh,
1: yeah. Live from New York, it's Saturday night!
0: The sketch is really funny, but it also tells the story of Trump as a cruel buffoon, taunting his enemies and relishing in his victories over them. What did people in the writer's room at Saturday Night Live think of Donald Trump back then, when that kind of thing was being written? They seem to have him pegged.
1: I mean... You know, that was all about the deal. That's I, I'm kind of think that perhaps this campaign, his whole campaign for the presidency, is uh, I've heard some uh, other people say that he he's always interested in making the deal and then loses interest. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> he hasn't so
0: far. doesn't Well, seem.
1: no, no, but he hasn't made the deal yet, and the deal is getting elected president, and then he do- hasn't shown any interest actually. In policy, which I think is a prerequisite to being president, <laughs> or, or, or at least it should be,
0: some interest, <laughs> exhibiting some interest. So you think that, that that people at that time wouldn't have been surprised by the Trump that we see now? I mean, you were a person who were, you were you were satirizing. Well, him you're then. basing this all on a sketch. I, was, I don't know. I'm trying to get I a mean, thought we, We've what it was seen like... the last whatever it's been, 11
1: months or something yeah. like that, and we've seen. I think we've seen enough. And uh, <laughs> uh, to know uh what the what this is, and he appeals to uh you know people's xenophobia, and you know he's he's captured some of the same anger that people feel who you know haven't seen haven't seen their families uh be better off for a long, long time, and there's he's captured that anger. And um, I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm just he's not very curious. You think he is
0: pretty smart, though? Or do you think he's not pretty
1: I think he's a smart person. I don't know how you uh, do IQ tests or something like that. But (laughs) there are different kinds of intelligence, and he certainly has a certain kind.
0: A a big part of your career before you were a senator was as a fact checker. Obviously, one of your books was... Isn't
1: that quaint now? (laughs) That actually people would think that, you know, getting stuff wrong is like a problem. I mean, it's
0: just, isn't that just adorable that I spent time doing that? Well, you know, Donald Trump is a guy who lies all the time. And there's been some criticism that the press hasn't called him on it enough or pushed back enough on it. And since we're in the museum, I thought I would just ask you like how you think the press is doing when it comes to Trump. I don't think they've given him enough uh, airtime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have, I have just one more question of mine. than we do the audience questions. Okay. So I had just, it's a, it's like just one comedy business question sure. for you. I know that being a comedian is not your main job these days, right. but you do know a lot more about show business than other senators I could have called probably. So, I the question I have is. Why is there only one woman with a late night talk show? Like, why does that hugely powerful part of comedy remain such a boys' club?
1: I don't know. Um, I don't know who was offered uh, the Daily Show, but I think Samantha B is great and she's doing a show. And uh, but no, there's uh, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously. Comedy was kind of a boys' club, you know, as so much uh, of our society is and was. I don't think it is as much anymore. I mean, uh, anybody who has one of those franchises would would drool of having Amy Poehler do it or Tina Fey or, you know, or Amy Schumer or, and I'm sure none of them would do it. Uh, Because it's a lot of work, you know, and, uh, but. Uh, Samantha is doing uh, her show, and what I've seen of it is terrific. It'd be valuable, you think, to have more?
0: Yeah, I think it's
1: always valuable to
0: have more uh, diverse voices in in entertainment. Well, let's keep these two straight white guys talking. (laughs) Um, uh, So after we announce you're coming on the show, we got a lot of questions for you from users of the BuzzFeed News app. Okay. The first comes from Kyle in Texas. Would you consider running as Hillary Clinton's vice president if she were to ask you? Uh, well
1: I'm very happy in my current job serving the people of Minnesota
0: uh, there's been So That's much... the
1: answer you're supposed to give to have people continue to say you know maybe Al Franken it's not going to happen <laughs> <laughs>
0: So don't worry about it Has there been any official vetting? That's what I'm supposed to ask you
1: They're listening to this podcast <laughs> How do you think you're going to do after that? And they're going to say, he did drugs during (laughs) SNL? Damn. (laughs) Ah, well, Obama did it, and
0: W seemed to have done it, so... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's not so bad. And then we have uh, Carl from Rhode Island asks, uh, what are the downsides to using humor as a weapon against Republicans?
1: Well, uh, it depends how you use the humor. If you uh, heap scorn and ridicule upon your colleagues, they probably will put a hold on your bill. So that's the downside.
0: <laughs> I've made me laugh. <laughs> I think there was I think there was an idea from some of these questions that we got about the idea that maybe Democrats aren't taking Trump seriously enough. And, they, and that yeah. they, maybe maybe he's. He's too. It's, he's too funny, but it's not. It's not funny. That sort of was the, the gist. We got. I've seen him times. be funny, but the but that his candidacy's not funny. Maybe is the idea. Oh, I see what you're saying. So I mean, This is the question. It's not. His, it's not. I
1: mean, it, it, it. It's a very serious matter. He's running for president of the United States. He has the Republican Party nomination for president of the United States. Donald Trump. That's not funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really, stop laughing. It's not funny. Tom in D.C. asked, is he, meaning you, going to join the bipartisan legislation to defend Minnesota's medical marijuana bill from federal attacks? This is a question about the so-called Carers Act, which tries to remedy the situation where states make medical marijuana legal while it remains illegal at the federal level. It's bipartisan. A lot of uh, progressives have co-sponsored it. Do you know about it? No.
1: Okay. Not really. I mean, I no. I'm, I'm not the guy to ask on this.
0: Do you think the government— By, I am. I'm
1: Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> but I should know more, or it's not important. <laughs> or, one, or somewhere in between.
0: Should the federal government legalize pot? You
1: know, I'm not necessarily there yet,
0: but, you know, I think decriminalization certainly makes sense. What do you need to see to go from decriminalization to legalization? Like, what's the decision matrix there? Uh, that's a really good question. And uh, uh, I, I don't, I,
1: I'm not quite sure. All right. I'm not quite
0: sure. We got a lot of questions about your role as a superdelegate. I'm not sure this does not surprise you. Thank you. There are people back in Minnesota who helped carry. Oh, Bernie. I see a super delegate. I got, it. Yeah, I got it. super delegate question. I thought, yeah. Oh, so a lot of people have, I mean, I mean, I watched your video where you responded to these mean tweets about Bernie supporters that are upset that you support Hillary Clinton. But There's this new thing where they feel like the Minnesota caucuses went so strongly for Bernie Sanders that they want their representatives like you to stand with them and support Bernie as a superdelegate. You've said you're not going to do that. What about this superdelegate system, though? Do you think it's really – is it a good system? Should Democrats have this? We have it. Uh Uh-huh.
1: And uh, it's been there for this entire cycle. Look – Three million more people have voted for Hillary. She's going to have a majority of the pledged delegates. I support Hillary. I'm going to vote for her at the convention.
0: Do you think the Democratic nominating process, which we've seen a lot of, I think more of than we expected to see this cycle, was just how long the primary process has gone on, because Bernie's been in for so long. Your state is a caucus state. There's a lot of people who complain about caucuses, Super delegates. Is it just too complicated? Should the Democrats try to do something different? I think we should look at all of this after this is this is over, after the cycle.
1: Um, you know, caucuses make sense in Minnesota. Certainly, like when I ran for the U.S. Senate, I went all around the state and went to bean feeds and to spaghetti dinners and burger bashes and met democrats uh dflers democratic farmer labor party all over the state and they really got to know me it's a good system in minnesota for u.s senator i think i don't know if it's really a good system for for presidential why do you think that because uh you you can go to iowa and meet enough people in iowa to have it mean be significant that they have a caucus system by the time you're in Minnesota, Bernie or Hillary can't spend <laughs> that much time to go to one, uh, you know, one bean feed after another, to well, use what Minnesota does.
0: What is a bean feed?
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, it actually sounds pretty delicious, to be honest, but what it is, it's uh, where people come to a, uh, a community room and uh, there's uh, bean dishes very often. <laughs> Uh, but a, there are you can have a walleye fry you could have i've i've been to bean feeds that had a a roast pig but they 're basically the organizing principle of d f l politics and it 's where people get together and uh they pay a little bit and they sometimes it's uh you bring your own dish mm-hmm. and uh then there are speeches and uh, that's that's how uh, I got to really get in front of uh, DFLers across Minnesota by going to a whole bunch of uh, bean feeds.
0: It's a high-protein party, DFL. Not necessarily. <laughs>
1: uh, it, it can be a spaghetti dinner. There's, there's, uh, there's carbohydrates.
0: Okay. We've got to get the balance. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So the last question comes from Sophia, who is in your home state. And she just wants to know, what's your favorite thing about being a Minnesotan? Uh, my favorite, you know what?
1: Uh, what it I love? Uh, no. <laughs> what I love about Minnesota is, and representing Minnesota, is that I get to go back and forth and find out what Minnesotans need, but also learn from what Minnesotans are doing that's really great. We do health care better than any other state in the union. We have the highest, we're rated by HHS as the highest. Uh, value health care in the country. If the rest of the country did health care like we do in Minnesota, we would save 30% of our health care budget and people would be better off. That's what I love about Minnesota is being able to go there and take stuff back.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the read on the state politically, right, is it's got a pretty high voter turnout usually. and Very voters, high, usually first in the country. And voters there are pretty informed. Voters, yeah, right? I'd say, that, especially if you're grading on a curve. <laughs> right. But why, what is it about Minnesota? Like, what's, what's in the water there that we haven't been able to get that sort of that hasn't started? I think we have a tradition of good government, of believing in government,
1: of believing in community. Uh, it used to be that the Republicans in uh, Minnesota were tended to be liberal Republicans. So we had. Uh, what happened to
0: them? What happened to liberal Republicans? Uh,
1: they went the way that uh, kind of they all went, uh, which is th- they disappeared.
0: What do you chalk that up to? Like, why do you think that happened? Uh,
1: I don't know. I, I would say that uh, Gingrich had something to do with it. Uh, I'd say I'd say it really goes back to the Civil Rights Bill and the Southern strategy of Nixon and that kind of thing. I know my dad. My dad was a uh, Republican uh, until 1964, and then he became a Democrat because of the Civil Rights... Uh, Goldwater and the Civil Rights Bill. And I hope that there will be... Uh, some Republicans around who will think about becoming Democrats after they look at who this year's nominee is.
0: Well, I've kept you very a long time to get to that, but I, I appreciate you talking. Very to, a long time? I keep you a very long time. Oh. I, I'm from North Carolina. We're not as educated as those Minnesota voters. Yeah, I know. Um, Anyway, thanks for coming out. This, this has been really great. Thanks for being Evan, the guest thank on the you. podcast. Thank you, thank you all thank you so here. much. So that was Evan in the past. This is Evan in the future, reading the credits. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer. Editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. Production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarajito. Our music was composed by Ryan Adams. Thanks to the museum for hosting us and for all of you who joined us at the event. We'd love to do more of these. So if you want No One Knows Anything to come to your city, email us. We're at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. You can also find us on Twitter at No One Knows. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes. I'm your host, Evan mcmorris Santoro, and we'll be back next week with more things we don't know.